Hey folks, I'm here today to tell you about Visible. Something unfortunate about wireless services, what you see isn't always what you get. But with Visible, what you see is what you get. No perception check required. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month, taxes and fees included. If you're looking for a carrier that is upfront with no hidden fees, then go to Visible.com to make the switch. You don't need more than one line of wireless to save, and you're going to be getting unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Visible is the wireless carrier that's constantly operating from a zone of truth. In their quest for total transparency, Visible wants you to know the monthly rate on the Visible plan. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Save on wireless without the hassle. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is now what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Hey everybody, welcome to the Dungeon Cast. I'm Will. I'm Brian. This is the podcast where we talk about everything Dungeons and Dragons, from frozen flames to flaming fountains. And today we're talking about flail snails, and we're talking about frog hemoths. Hey, Brian. Hey, Will. How you doing today? I'm doing good, man. It's back. It's the end of the year. Frog Hemoth. Oh, yeah, it is back. Well, the last time we talked about Frog Hemoth was probably in the Blue Wug episode? Yeah. Or the, the Draco Lich episode, because you had the, the Draco Lich. That's right. <laughs> the bones of Frog Hemoth. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, how are you today? I'm doing good. Yeah, I'm good. doing pretty good. Cool. It's, so it's the end of the year, and a couple years ago, I decided to end the year on the most powerful D&D monster, the Tarrasque. Uh, last year, I decided to end the year on one of the weakest and friendliest monsters, the Flumpf. This year, we're going with two of D&D's weirdest monsters, Flail Snails and Frog Hemoths. And funnily enough, this fits the spirit of our Year of the Giants, since these two creatures are the biggest snail and the biggest frog in the game, respectively. Yay! So without further ado, let us detail these very odd and very D&D original monsters, starting with the Flail Snail. I got one more ado, actually. Is oh, Happy what's up? Happy New Year! Happy New Year! I'm glad to be ending yeah. the year on, think, these epi- on this topic. Yeah, I want to do something fun and whimsical. Um, what, this episode's coming out the 27th? 28th? Something like that? It's so, up there, man! Right, right at the end. It's way up there! So, what do you know about the Flail Snail? Uh, I can make wild guesses, but nothing. Okay, give me your best wild guess. It's a snail, and he's a fucking, uh, light domain cleric, and he's got a flail, and he's gonna fucking murder you with his smites. <laughs> well, I mean... Snail smites. That's more accurate than it should be. 
Um, <laughs> the flail snail is a bizarre and somewhat whimsical creature. Not whimsical in behavior, but in appearance. Yeah, its eye stalks are maces. Yeah, true to sure. its moniker, the flail snail is indeed a snail armed with natural flails that grow from its body. Okay. It is also notable. It is also notable, notably a very magical being with natural anti-magic capabilities and alchemical properties. Nice. Though past editions have designated the creature as fey in origin, uh, creations of Fomorian arcane experiences, which I personally quite find quite fitting 5e currently names a flail snail as a type of earth elemental oh which is kind of strange. out of left field but there's part of its lore that kind of like you could fit that to it you'll see and like the anatomy of a snail in general like you're very on the ground all the time <laughs> you're dudes. very low to the ground you're in the dirt you're you, eating you dirt right you never get higher than the ground they're pretty much just decomposition machines yeah. as far as i know and that's this one mostly is too so let's little, get into it little mucus babies Flail snails are essentially gigantic snails with spiraling, scintillating, iridescent shells. In place of where eye stalks would be on a mundane snail, there are instead between four to six tentacles, typically five. These tentacles have bald ends of hardened skin covered in spiky protrusions, mm. basically flails. Okay. These flails are kept in constant motion, swaying slowly if the, the creature is calm or fast if it is agitated. This gigantic mollusk averages eight feet in height at the crown of its shell. These creatures, said to be of elemental earth, are famed and highly sought after by hunters due to the fact that they produce a number of valuable resources, including their very colorful scintillating shells that have inherent anti-magic properties and continue to grow large and heavy as the creature ages. You're triggering someone's AS ASMR. Scintillating. 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 They're very scintillating. Indeed. Left undisturbed, a flail snail moves slowly along the ground, consuming everything on the surface, including rocks, sand, and soil. Tracks. Stopping to relish crystal growths and large mineral deposits. It e eats rocks. Yeah. And the better the rocks, or the more expensive the rocks, the more it likes them. Oh, okay. I didn't think it would differentiate based off that. <laughs> it, it likes crystals. It likes ore. It likes stones. It likes it all. Okay. It leaves behind a shimmering trail of quickly that quickly solidifies into a thin layer of nearly transparent substance inedible to the snail. I mean, no one eats their own shit, so I don't know why that inedible part needs to be in there, but it's in there. Yeah, it's not like doing like, loop-to-loops made, on itself. They made it very clear across multiple sources, it can't eat this. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> I guess I'm adding it in. Why does it matter? It yeah. must have come up so much. Maybe. Well, <laughs> this glassy residue can be harvested and cut to form window panes of varying clearness. It's glass. It shits glass. <laughs> <laughs> That's horrible. I mean, like, I know it's probably fine for this thing, yeah. but the idea of anything shitting glass is very jarring to me. Yeah, it should be. It probably should be. <laughs> Thank you for, for validating me right now. Uh, it can also be heated and spun into glass objects of, a, of other sorts. Uh, some humanoids make a living from trailing flail snails to collect this glass. Yeah. Inexper sure. Inexperienced flail snail hunters might be lulled into a false sense of confidence upon sighting this ponderous, seemingly non-hostile creature. But this can be a fatal mistake for if any creature is openly hostile or simply large enough to be a threat to it approaches it. The snail unleashes a brilliant flash of scintillating light, then attacks with its mace-like tentacles in a bludgeoning frenzy. These things are also capable of screaming, both loudly and shrilly. So the horrifying image... <laughs> <laughs> the horrifying image of a screaming blur of bloody maces can be the last image a foolish adventurer ever sees. Yeah, can you imagine them getting, like, really, really negative <laughs> about you, like, stealing their shit all uh -huh, the time yeah. and, like, trapping you? Like, mm -hmm. we'll just shit a bunch right here, and we'll when he walks him. in to get it... 
Well, we're we yell, gonna yell we're going to look at the stat block today. I think they're kind of dumb, so I don't think they're smart okay, enough I, to do that. I'm wonder, I was wondering like how much, intelligent they are. They're yeah. they're just giant snails, man. Well, because they were like, I'm, I only like the rocks that are valuable. Valuable. They're the bougiest snails I've ever seen. So <laughs> no, I think they just taste better. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. For some reason, money makes things taste better. That Doesn't makes sense because sometimes I go to to steakhouses and I'm like, wow, really this much for some mac and cheese? And I'm like, it is good though. <laughs> Yeah, really exactly. Good. Yeah, and I exactly. think about it for, you know, years. So flail snails <laughs> like things warm and dark. They hibernate during winter, except in locations in which the season does not affect the availability of food, such as deep underground. Now, how does winter affect the availability of food to an animal that eats rocks? I mean, the ground, if the ground is covered in, okay, hang on a second. If this snail, I don't know the, the body anatomy composition of the snail, but if it gets too cold, won't it freeze because it is like... Very. It does malleable. like things warm and dark. That, but, but it says in. I think this is in three point. No, this is in second edition. That it says that they hibernate during the winter, except for in locations in which the seasons does not affect the availability of food. Snow. That's the only other snow thing. Snow covers the rocks ice on the ground. Snow covers rocks. Can't get to rock. Yeah. Can't eat rock. Ice on ground can't get to rock under ice. Okay. Froze to like, can, have you you've licked a cold thing right, and your tongue gets stuck to it right? Ooh, I like that. <clears throat> okay, yes. so everything's sticky. Yeah, because snail, it's all so cold. Snail get cold. Snails stick to cold surface. Snail die. Snail die. Yeah. Okay. Snail die in cold. Snail yes. starve. Snail can't shit. Artificer can't collect glass. Yeah. The economy is ruined. Everyone loses. If the snail goes out in the okay. cold winter blizzard okay. to fight Yeetis. I feel, I feel so much better now about what I just read. You're welcome. They also tend to flee from overly bright lights uh, as a leftover instinctual defense mechanism against uh, desiccation by the sun, uh, alluding to the fact that flail snails likely are descendants of the mon- their mundane cousins. Either way, sun does not actually hurt them. They're just afraid of it. Right. Which also makes sense because if there's snow on the ground, it's highly reflective. That's true. There we go. I'm fucking all over this This is fantasy physics right here. This is fantasy physics. This is a preview of this thing on this other (laughs) YouTube project we're going to do. So let's talk about Flail Snell's plethora of uncanny and magical abilities. Okay. Due to the immense slowness of their metabolism, along with the fact that it is designed to break down some of the toughest and most complex compounds found, Flail Snell's are completely immune to poison. Neat. Furthermore, due to their thick shells and the coat of wet mucus that covers their bodies, they are also completely immune to fire. Okay. See, I told you this thing can't hurt. So they have the they have the markings of a very powerful monster. Their their challenge rating is higher than you think it would be. Oh, not based off of this information. Well, I mean, if you heard the name Flail Snow, you wouldn't think it was tough. Five Flail... No, no, not off the bat. But mm. after reading that they've got fucking five of those motherfuckers they're going to pound you into the ground with. <laughs> and that they scream that at you as they kill they you. They scream and they, and they can just eat rocks. <laughs> like, okay, that sounds pretty fucking powerful. <laughs> okay. You they raise, shit glass. They I can't sh- do that. <laughs> You raised some good points. (laughs) All right. Fair. As I said before, a flail snail shell can emit an extremely bright multicolored light. But this goes beyond being used as a simple stunning tactic on a would-be attacker. It can also be used to make it difficult for the creature to be physically targeted in the first place. Okay. I also said before that their shells are naturally anti-magical, making them extremely resistant to magic. Mm -hmm. If a flail snail is targeted by a magical attack, their shell can either reflect the attack back on the caster or convert the spell energy into a destructive blast of force pummeling any creature near itself. This is fucking cool. Yeah. What a cool (laughs) thing. The flail snail's fucking dope. Yeah. (laughs) I'm loving it. Yeah. Flail snails also have limited regenerative abilities. 
If one of their tentacles is sufficiently damaged, the tentacle will, sh will shrivel and die. But if the snail lives on, it can regrow lost tentacles after only a few days. Neat. This, remaining, this remains possible as long as at least one tentacle remains intact. If all tentacles are killed, though, the snail will retract into its shell and begin to cr begin crying out a loud wailing sound for several minutes until either it dies or has its tentacles restored, such as through a regenerate spell. Okay. The idea behind this is that the cry of a dying flail snail can potentially attract other monsters to the site. So you might, like, as uh, adventurers trying to sneak through the Underdark and you fucking do this and, like, it sends an alarm that can bring drow and... All kinds of beholders and all that nasty stuff. You might be like, "Oh shit, sorry, sorry, sorry," and regenerate it. Yeah, so, um, farting is bad there, but like screaming is worse. Screaming is much worse. Yeah. Loud sounds are bad. So it's a defense mechanism of bring me back to life now or suffer the consequences. Yeah, that's the best. We just did a paladin episode last week. Yeah, the best anti-paladin is things with good hearing. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Paladins are the loudest motherfuckers on the planet. It's true. Okay. A full-grown flail snail shell. Say that five times fast. Full Weighs about flash. 250 pounds and has numerous uses for magical practitioners. Hell yeah. One intact shell can sell for 5,000 gold pieces. That seems like a lot. It is a lot. A skilled armorer can make three shields from one shell. For one month, each shield gives its wielder the snail's anti-magic shell trait. That's very powerful. And that's why it only lasts for a month because it'd be too powerful yeah. if it didn't. It's kind of sad. When the shield's magic fades, though, it leaves behind an exotic shield that is the perfect item from which to make a spell guard shield. Mm. A flail snail shell can also be used to make a robe of scintillating colors. Mm. The shell is ground and added to the dye while the garment is being fashioned. The powder is also a material component of the ritual that enchants the robe. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. so the Dragon Magazine 258 gets way too... Oh, God, I forgot about this. The Dragon Magazine 258 gets way too detailed into the mating ritual. And normally I would have left this out. But because I was forced to read this, I will now force you and the audience to are hear this. Are we about to learn about flail snails fucking? Yep, we are. You want me to read it? Uh, you want to read it? I want you to absorb it, so let me read it. All right, you dirty boy. <laughs> Do it. Read me the flail, the flail snails, snail fuckery. Like most land-dwelling snails are hermaphroditic... Uh, each creature manufacturing both eggs and sperm. They reproduce by exchanging packets of sperm cells with each with another partner through the genital pore, a small opening mm. near the creature's head. Of course. Flail snails begin their mating ritual by circling each other, then rubbing their heads and feet together. Mm. Now, it says feet, and this led me to Google if snails have feet. Yeah, feet's uh, in quotes here. Yeah. So I Googled whether snails have feet. Uh, the ends, it ends up the entire bottom of their body is called a foot. So yeah. their feet is each foot. Yeah, don't they have like little? There's something on like the bottom their feet of those. Kind of like ripple. Yeah, and they've got the ribbed like sort of edge. Yeah, yeah but the whole thing's a foot. Yeah, they're slit. Anyway, it's one big slithering foot. <sighs> okay, so the next part, <laughs> and I quote: "Love, <laughs> love darts project from the creature's bodies and stab into each other, causing neither pain nor damage. Different snail species produce differently shaped love darts, which serves as a form of recognition for two snails involved to ensure they are not mating with an incompatible species." It also stimulates the snail's bodies, preparing them for the act of mating. A snail cannot produce sperm cells without first having sampled their intended mate's love dart. Mm -hmm. After mating is complete, each snail goes its own way and the two may never meet again. What are you laughing about? This is a mature this is, topic. This is a very beautiful act of love. It's yeah, true. Especially since this basically mirrors the way I make love. <laughs> Fun fact. <laughs> 
The Fell Snail was created in first edition, but has been rather scarce since then, only being released in one of the annual Monster Companions in second edition, being completely absent in third edition, having a single cameo appearance in a 4E adventure module as a stat block named the Stale Trail Flail Snail. They're just uh, they're just fucking playing Calvin Ball with this thing. Yeah. They're like, what if we just wrote a whole fucking paragraph about how it fucks? <laughs> and it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and the final fun fact about the flail snails. Um, and this this is pertinent because the Acerac as the Acerac episode was not that long ago. Um, Unk, one of the nine trickster gods of Cholt, we talked about in the Acerac episode, yes. was a flail snail. Oh, I see. Okay. And now we can talk about the stat block, but I forgot to tell you to open Mordenkainen's or Volo's Guide. Oh. Or Mordenkainen's. It's in one of those. We'll find it. Okay. Okay. We had to go get a book, but we got the book. And so I have the stat block for the flail snail. And I get to see a picture of this bad boy. Yeah. No eyes. Strange. Yeah. As Tremor sense, though, so it's good. Yeah. Okay. We'll get into it. <clears throat> flail snail is a large elemental of unaligned. Its armor class is 16 natural. Its hit points are 52. And its speed is 10 feet. Totally tracks. Um, Very slow. Strength is plus three. Dex minus three. Con plus five. Intelligence Ooh. minus four. It's a three intelligence. It's not good. Yeah, that's real, uh, real dumb. Wisdom is a flat zero. And charisma minus three. It's no force of will. <clears throat> All no. right. So its damage immunities are fire and poison. Like I said. Uh, condition immunity is poison. Um, it's just the main marker that you've crossed the high level threshold. Uh, dark, dark vision of 60 feet, tremor sense of 60 feet. Now, how does that have dark vision? Does it have eyes? Because no uh, yeah, anatomy, is, I said, had eyes. No, there's no eyes in this photo. And, like, <clears throat> what is what is dark vision then, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Is it, like, it kind of like infrared, like where you can pick up other shit? And, like, what is this? It's okay. supposed to be just black and white vision, but, like, like night vision. But from which uh, sensory receiver? I don't know, I, man. Who knows? Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't even want to guess right What's now. The challenge, the challenge rating? rating is three. Ooh, it's the perfect challenge rating. It's the perfect challenge it's rating. It's the boss of low levels. It's the mini boss of mid levels. It's the mob of high levels. I can definitely see a pack of these slide down the wall. Yeah. And then you just got to salt them. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, it's immune to poison, not seasonings. Uh, so <laughs> the anti-magic shell. The snail has advantage on saving throws against spells. And any creature making a spell attack against the snail has disadvantage on the attack roll. If the snail succeeds on its saving throw against a spell or spell attack, uh, or sorry, if the snail succeeds on its saving throw against a spell or spell attack, misses it, um, an additional effect might occur as determined by rolling a d6. So on one to two, the spell affects an area or has multiple targets. It fails and has no effect. If the spell targets only the snail, it has no effect on the snail and is reflected back at the caster. Oof. Using the spell slot, spell save DC, attack bonus, and spell casting ability of the caster. So it's a straight up mirror. Mm -hmm. Three to four, no additional effect. And five to six, the snail's shell converts some of the spell's energy into a burst of destructive force. Each creature within 30 feet of the snail must make a DC 15 constitution saving throw, taking one D6 Force damage per level of the spell on a failed save, yeah. or half as much damage on a successful one. This reminds me of a monster that is not canonical in the world of Super Quest Saga yet that I just used in a fight. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> I shouldn't even be talking about that. It's oh, like, I remember what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what I like about this is like this is the perfect monster to throw at like 
more of a newbie party that doesn't know anything about right. Photoshop. So when that wizard throws that fireball, it's coming right back at them, and they're going to be like, what do we do? No! Like, <laughs> the most powerful magics. Yeah. Uh, so. Okay, so flail tentacles. The snail, and this does they have five eye stalks that mm-hmm. don't have eyes, but just these flails. Uh, the snail... Oh, that reminds me. What's that panther thing? I always forget its name. Displacer beast? The displacer beast. This looks like the displacer beast tentacles a little bit. bit. They're they're like barbed on one side. This is obviously a bog end, but a similar idea here. Um, The flail snail has five flail tentacles. Whenever the snail takes 10 damage or more on a single turn, one of its tentacles dies. (laughs) Yep. Okay. If even one tentacle remains, the snail regrows all dead ones within one D4 days. If all tentacles die, the snail retracts into its shell, gaining total cover, and it begins wailing a sound that can be heard for 600 feet, stopping only when it dies 5 to 5d6 five minutes later. I'm going to look up total cover because I think that's actually like devastatingly hard to hit something with total cover. Total cover is pretty good. Uh, healing magic that restores limbs, such as regenerate spell, can halt this dying process. So what's the deal here? Like, why are they detailing this? Is it because like spellcasters or, or artificers, maybe artificers, are um, like farming these things? Yeah, yeah. If it's something valuable, like it is loot. Don't forget that this is loot. Right, yeah, this this monster itself. So it's super yeah. dumb, super slow, and if you can corral this beast, then you can potentially have them mate, farm, like... The, the, <laughs> like the, farm? Well, that's the thing, is like, the, why do they have all this information if this isn't what's going on with these guys? You have to know all this stuff for a reason. I mean, most, most people are hunting them and, like, trailing them and then yeah, collecting their glass and if, stuff. Why go through the trouble of that when you can farm them? I imagine they're difficult to farm. Number one, they're challenge rating three. Number two, like, they eat ground. They can just eat their way out of whatever. Yeah. Well, I kind of pictured them more, like, going over the, the earth well, than going do, through it. Well, they do, but, like, you know? if they, like, let's say they're they're passing over and then they, they smell some gold or whatever, they're going to, like, dig down and, like... I'm not saying you know, it's like not a, a crazy, like, somebody down. crazy powerful... Needs to corral these things, right? I mean, and build sure. like a fort. You could, absolutely. You could do that. So real quick, total cover. Uh, when you have total cover, you can't be targeted directly by an attack or a spell. Although some spells can reach such a target by including it in an area of effect. Uh-huh. Uh, target with has total cover is completely killed by an obstacle. So if you get yourself in a situation where it uh, does that, you can't kill it anymore. Until right. you you got to wait it out to die. Yeah. But, um, um, interesting. I'm yeah. sure some player is going to like try to, well, what if I overturn the, the shell and then it's exposed like that? I don't think that's how that maybe works. you gotta be real strong. I suppose you could. Yeah. I would allow that this thing. Um, very at least three or 400 pounds. I would say it, and it's probably suctioning itself to the ground also. So maybe yeah. you can like dig maybe. up the ground beneath it and then mm-hmm. chip away at that. Yeah, maybe that's some do some doing is going to happen though. Some doing needs yeah, to happen. Some doing true. needs to happen. So let's move into the actions. We have multi-attack. The flail snail makes as many flail attacks uh, as its flail tentacles and all attack uh, all against the same target. So the, that tentacle is going to be a plus five to hit a reach of 10 feet for one target. It's going to do six damage or 1d6 plus three bludgeoning. Uh, the scintillating shell recharges after a short or long rest. The snail shell emits dazzling colored lights until the end of the snail's next turn. During this time, the shell sheds bright light in a 30-foot radius and dim light for an additional 30 feet. And creatures that can see the snail have disadvantage on attack rolls against it. Mm-hmm. In addition, any creature within the bright light and able to see the snail when this power is activated, must exceed a DC 15 wisdom saving throw or be stunned until the light ends. That's mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. 
And then Shell Defense. The Flail Snail withdraws into its shell, gaining a plus four bonus to AC until it emerges. It can emerge from its shell as a bonus action on its turn. Okay. This thing is very troublesome to fight. Yeah. But in a fun way, I think. Yeah, because, like, the 10 feet movement yeah. uh, with the, like, sort of... You don't. You definitely you don't want to be on top of this. Yeah, thing. you could definitely range it out, but, yeah. that, but can you because of uh, the it's anti magic spell? It's so got that's got gonna all be these arrows, protective and stuff. stuff. So it just seems like arrows shouldn't be the thing to be able to take it out. But whatevs. Well, it's got a lot of exposure on it. Like it, outside of its shell, it, it in this picture, it is taller than its shell because of its stocks. But yeah. it's about as like the meat of its body is about as tall as its shell. So I, I think plenty to hit. Yeah, I think there's enough there to range okay. it out. But if it's going to hide in its shell, like, you're going to have a tough time. Right. You know, and then you're going to have to get up on it, and then it's up on you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there's a trade-off here, it yeah. seems. But that's it for the, the stat block. All right. Well, then, in that case, let's uh, take a short rest, and okay. we'll be back with some frog hemoths. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify is great. They're taking businesses of all sizes, cradling them in their arms to help them grow by giving them the tools they need. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success at every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dungeoncast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dungeoncast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dungeoncast. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hey everybody, be sure to check out Super, Super Quest, Quest Saga. Saga! A future fantasy 5th edition D&D actual play podcast from Brood and Dungeon Mastered by yours truly, me... And set in space. And I play in it, along with your special guest Jake and friend of the show, Josh Freeland. You can find it on YouTube, iTunes, or anywhere else you can get your podcasts. Super Quest Saga! Oh, we've returned. <laughs> Indeed we have. <laughs> Fucking forgot. And that now that we're done with the biggest snail. 
Uh, it's time to move on to the biggest frog. The biggest frog. The frogemoth. Frogemoth. <laughs> my boy. We talked about the frogemoth briefly in the Bullywug episode as they are loosely tied to the Society of the Frog Humanoids. But today we are doing a deeper dive, breaking out the Stapla. And breaking out the Stapla. And it came up in the Lich episode, I'm pretty sure. The Draco Lich episode. The Draco yeah, Lich yeah. episode. This monster, much like the Fluffsnow, existed in early editions of D&D, but disappeared from 3 and 4E for some reason. Uh, maybe there was a pushback on the sillier monsters during D&D's teenage years. Mm. But now it's back, and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so, a frogemoth is an amphibious predator roughly the size of an elephant. This huge and weird horror lurks in the darkest swamps and dankest subterranean pools. The frogemoth's 18-foot-long, 10-foot-wide body is yellow on the belly, shading to a light green on its sides and a mottled green on its back and thick, bowed rear legs. Mm. Two tentacles sprout from each of its shoulders. The tentacles are 15 or more feet long, green on top and yellowish underneath. The creature's nostrils are long stalks protruding from its nose bridge, and its three bulbous eyes are housed on a protruding retractable appendage that can be withdrawn. They each face in a different direction, giving the monster excellent range of sight. Its eyes are amber with a green tinge and have vertical slit pupils of bright green edged with orange when it is submerged its tentacles trailing ashore and its eye and nostril stalks at water level it appears to be nothing more than a plant growth of some sort nice this is cool monster so it's a big scary monster with like whole weird anatomy that can appear out of nowhere in a swamp indeed don't go in the swamps in D. <laughs> yeah black, i know that's such place. a bad idea black, dra- black dragons frog hemoths lizard folk Bullywug, stay away it's a pretty bad idea to go into a swamp in general yeah especially unprepared yeah yeah. So none know the true origin of the monstrosity, but some say that Vraghemus are creatures not of this world. A journal purportedly written long ago by the wizard Lum the Mad describes strange cylindrical chambers of metal buried in the ground from which Vraghemus first emerged. But no reliable reports of the locations of such places exist. Couldn't find it again. Nope. <laughs> cool. <clears throat> Found only where there are large swamps or relatively shallow bodies of freshwater containing large life forms that serve as prey, Frogemoths are solitary except during spring mating season. Their movement in water is surprisingly rapid for such a hulking monster, their webbed rear feet kicking to thrust them forward. In more muddy marsh and swamp terrain, a frogemoth moves by lying on its belly and sliding along, prepared, <laughs> propelled by rear legs and tentacles. Neat. On dry land, movement is by short vaulting hops. The tentacles thrust well ahead, the legs lifting the body forward and up. God, can you imagine something built like this doing a jump of any kind? No, it's scary. My God, that's like an elephant doing a jump. Oh, God. Do they? They don't, right? They can't. Well, they do, like, I don't know if they ever leave all four legs. No way. But they for sure pop up like a horse, you know, like on two legs. Yeah. And that is scary in itself. That is scary in itself. That's a lot of weight. That's a lot going on. That's a lot going on. I don't know if they do jumps. I don't know if they can physically jump. There's no fucking way. I don't know. I don't believe it. I don't know. I don't know what a frog can and can't do. A frogemoth is very likely the dominant predator predator in its home region. They kill and consume all that they please. Only very powerful creatures like dragons or well-equipped adventurers can hope to succeed against one. Jeez. Their strength and ferocity is such to make them undomesticatable. Even frogemoth tadpoles cannot be trained, but it may be possible to capture one and move it someplace where it can act as a vicious and somewhat unreliable guard animal. Okay, sure. Yeah, just like chain it up and let it kind of 
go ham on whatever walks by. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> if any are said to have proven able to form a symbiotic relationship with the monsters, it would be the Bullywugs. Mm. We did a whole episode on them, so if you want more, look up our Bullywugs episode. <laughs> yeah, please do. It's a fun um, one. If a Bullywug tribe comes across a froghemoth, the Bullywugs are likely to view and treat the froghemoth as a god and do all they can to coax the monster into their den. A froghemoth <laughs> can be sated after a fashion by offering it food, and Bullywugs can communicate with it on a basic level, so the creature might only eat a few bullywugs before following the rest. You know, I've been eating you guys, but you're kind of cute. <laughs> you're actually kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, bullywugs gather food as tribute for it, provide it with a comfortable lair, fanatically protect it from harm, and try to ensure that any young frahemoth reaches maturity. Okay. So they just, like, take care of it. Uh, yeah. It, it lives the easy life. They're responsible big monsters. N- indeed. Okay. Uh, rather than laboriously detail out the meeting ritual of frahemoths like the flail snail, <laughs> D&D instead just can't agree with itself on the way in which Frakimus do copulate. Some sources say that once every nine years, Frakimus return to their spawning ground to mate with others of their ilk. In late spring, females lay only 10 to 100 eggs of about one foot in diameter. These eggs are left in shallow water, and when the Tadhemoths hatch, about 90% are eaten by their earlier hatching fellows or by other predators. The few survivors search for deeper waters to grow in for a period of three years to adulthood. Survival rate is low. Other sources say that froghemoths lay a single fertile egg every few years without ever mating. The froghemoth cares nothing for its egg and might even eat the hatchling. A young froghemoth's survival is mostly often predicated on its parent leaving it behind in indifference. A newborn froghemoth grows to full size over a period of months by indiscriminately preying on other creatures in its swampy domain. So you already see the inconsistency here. Yeah. Completely different way of birth and different lifespan because it got to full growth in a month versus three years. Is this the issue of crossing over additions? And then, yeah, okay. this is what happens, man. Yeah. It learns to hide its enormous body in murky pools, keeping only its eye stock above the water to watch for passing creatures. When food comes within reach, the froghemoth erupts from its pool, tentacles and tongue flailing. It can grab several targets at once, keeping them at bay while it wraps its target around another one and pulls it in to be devoured. This is like the meat version of the shambling mound. Kind of, yeah. It feels like that, where Similar. it just like kind of appears. Mm-hmm. The big bush. Yeah. This one is just a big frog. Yeah, it's it's well. A, this is a much more it's, it's a giant misleading to just call it a big frog, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. it's frog like frog hemoth. It's more like a what? It's what a kind of monster. Frog, is this? It's, it's very, a frog to puss alien. Yeah, yeah. An alien would be a good depiction. I didn't want to say old one because like there are tentacles here, but not, it's not an old yeah, one. No, it's, it's just a big. It's squid. just a big meat monster with tentacles. Yeah, and a tongue. Nasty yep, tongue. A big old mouth. That tongue does look like a displacer beast tentacle. Like almost. Oh, it does. I see. I see it from here. Yeah. yeah. The only treasure a frog hemoth might have is that dropped by hapless victims. Most prey is slain and devoured away from the monster's lair, which is usually a submerged collection of trees and debris. Normal hunting attack modes are from ambush, which we've pretty much talked about before. The monster will float with its body submerged, retractable eye stalk thrust up to its full height to just break water, nostril stalks likewise, and the four tentacles thrust ahead, possibly near a shore, to seize unwary victims. Nice. It's kind of like the monster outside of uh, the Mines of Moria. Except for that was like a kraken. But like, same deal where it was like in the water, just waiting for someone to come by. And then when they did, tentacles come flying out. I mean, I get the, I get the picture for sure. Do yeah. I understand the reference? No. You've never seen Lord of the Rings? Oh shit! Yeah. No, okay, never mind. Like you, you hit like Sorry. a wall, and now we've walked. Brian has walked around the wall of his own okay. mind. Okay, you know the and part yes, I'm talking about. Yes, yes, I do know the part where they're doing the rune thing on the. Yes, yeah. Okay, yes, okay, 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 yeah. Yes, yes, I've seen Lord of the Rings. 
Another ambush mode is for the monster to crouch amid uh, shielding vegetation, and when prey comes within range, it thrusts its head forward and lashes out with its 10-foot-long barbed tongue and captures prey. The tongue retracts instantly, dragging the victim into its toothy maw to be swallowed whole. Sweet. So, I uh, have a strangely related... I didn't plan this, by the way, but strangely related fun fact. Just like the flail snail, one of the nine trickster gods of, of Chult, <laughs> Kubazan, was a frog hemoth before being murdered by Acerak. Damn you, Acerak. Yeah. And I, I just love how it all tied together. Chult. Okay. The yeah. name Chult is, like, offensive to me for some what? reason. Why? I don't know. It's just a strange word. It's I mean, a strangely it is. built word. I, I like it. Yeah, you can like it if you want. All right. Well, let's talk about the frog heaving stat block because I'm looking at it. It's so big. I'm so on long. the fence. Yeah, the frog, it's almost as long as the flail snow one. Uh, it's a huge monstrosity, unaligned, armor class 14, natty armor with 184 hit points. Uh, it's got 30 feet of move and swim. And if you are in this thing's home turf, the swamp, it's going to swim circles around you. Mm-hmm. Strength is uh, plus six. Dexterity, plus one. Con, plus five. Intelligence, minus four. That's a two, baby. It's uh, dumber than the flail it's snail. It's dumber than the fucking snail. <laughs> it seems to have more uh, receptors, like... Uh, like sensory... Sensory receptors, yeah. yeah. Uh, wisdom, less brain, though. Less, less, No place for brain, only place for meat. Wisdom, <laughs> plus one, and charisma, minus three. Makes sense. It's got saving throws, plus nine con, plus five wisdom. Skills are plus nine perception, plus five stealth. Damage resistance to fire and lightning? Why lightning? Seems strange, but okay. Yeah. And then uh, senses are dark vision 60 feet. Who knows what that even means anymore. Uh, and passive perception 19. Very good. So, yeah, hiding in the swamp, you're going to get ambushed by this thing for sure. Yeah. No languages with the challenge rating of 10. Uh, we're Man. talking, it's amphibious, which is the frog hemoth can breathe air and water, which is, that's what that means. Shock susceptibility. If the frog hemoth takes lightning damage, it suffers several effects until the end of its next turn. Its speed is halved. It takes minus two penalty to AC and dexterity saving throws. And it can't use reactions or multi-attack. And on, on its turn, it can use either an action or a bonus action, but not both. So it's resistant to lightning, but if you hit it with lightning, a bunch of bad shit happens to it. Yeah. This is really weird to have it also resist the damage. Maybe it's so the, I don't know why I would do that. Why would uh, you resist it? I don't know. And then have it also do this. Okay. It it eats the damage and mm-hmm. then it's like nerves get all weird. Yeah. Okay, yeah. sure. And the damage gets, what if, fucking whatever. Actions. <laughs> uh, multi-attack. The frog hemoth makes three attacks, two with its tentacles and one with its tongue or bite. Uh, tentacle is the melee attack plus 10 with 20 feet. Of reach, one hit, or one target, sorry. Uh, the hit is going to do 19 or 3d8 plus 6 bludge, mm. and the target is grappled. Escape DC 16 if it is a huge or smaller creature. Uh, now, until the grapple ends, the frog hemoth can't use its tentacles on another target, and the frog hemoth has four tentacles. Uh, bite, melee weapon attack, plus 10 to hit, reach of 5 feet, one target, 22 damage, or 3d6 I'm sorry, 3d10 plus 6 piercing damage. And the target is swallowed if it is a medium or smaller creature. That's horrible. Yeah, this uh, thing's a monster. You get attack on Titan. A swallowed creature is blinded and restrained, has total cover against attacks and other effects outside the frog hemoth, and takes 10 3d6 acid damage at the start of each of the frog hemoth's turn. Oh, you start to get digested by the acid? Absolutely, because what else is going to happen in there? And you're going to be able to wreak havoc from within it. But the frog hemoth's gullet can hold up to two creatures at a time. 
if the Froghemoth takes 20 damage or more on a single turn from the creature inside it, the Froghemoth must uh, succeed on a DC 20 con save to not regurgitate uh, at the end of that turn or regurgitate all swallowed creatures, each of which falls prone in a space within 10 feet of the Froghemoth. <laughs> if the Froghemoth dies, a swallowed creature is no longer restrained by it and can escape from the corpse using 10 feet of movement, exiting prone. So you got to crawl out of there. That's cool. So I'm not sure how much you remember, but in the first D&D adventure I ever put you guys through, you guys had to go into a swamp pretty early. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know you guys had a hard time with the Kelpie, and that was a great encounter. Yeah, especially Uh, me. Especially you. But having a Froghemoth just bust out of nowhere and you guys having to run for your lives, I wish I had done that. That would be pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah, we did fight a Kelpie. I did lose a sword that I wrote way too much backstory about. But first D&D game. Yeah. (laughs) That must have been fun to see players dealing with anything for the first time. Yeah, the Kelpie was great because I not only did I uh, know you guys didn't see it coming, but it it wasn't detailed in the monster manual, so I had to make it up myself. That's definitely something like this, but with the challenge rating 10, it's probably not going to be new players. No, no. I would, like this, I would have made you guys have to run for your life yes this but, is a fail state boss fight but the sure. but the idea of this giant mouth tentacled monster that you've never seen or heard because you're new players you have no idea what the fuck yeah, this no, is never that heard of frog so, yeah that would have been this so much stuff fun. of uh <laughs> nightmares it is we got the tongue uh the frog targets one medium or small creature that it can see within 20 feet of it the target must make a dc 18 strength saving throw on a failed save the target is pulled into an unoccupied space within five feet of the frog and the frog can make a bite attack against it as a bonus action oh that's a cool combo it's like mm-hmm. it's like a, a lightning lure into yeah, a yeah. strike it's like a frog eating an insect it's like a uh um what's the druid one the vine uh, thorn whip thorn it's like a thorn whip yeah. into a shillelagh strike. Yeah, sure. Some we'll go like with that. that. Whatever. All right. <laughs> I think it's time for our long rest. It is. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the long rest. Just me, Brian, here this time. We'll have to go to work, so I'm going to go ahead and close it out. It's a shame he's not going to get to see me in my incredibly slow slippies. They are very magically resistant, though. Druid tried to get wise with me out there, cast a moonbeam, blasted him right back at him. So cool. Problem is, though, uh, it's eating up all my carpet, and there's glass all over my house. My, my slippies are just... Sh- eating my carpet and shitting glass. Uh, Anyway, um, thanks for listening to the episode. It's been a crazy year. This is it. You're the big guy. It's over. I can't believe it. I'm so sad, but it will live on in our hearts. We have a lot of great things planned for next year, including next year's theme, which you'll find out next Sunday what it is. Tune in for that. And if you're on Patreon, you already know, probably, if you're listening to our uh, our show called The Dungeon Cast. The bla- that's this show. I meant The Dungeon Chats. The Dungeon Chats is a show. Me and Will are pretty much going to do it every time we sit down to record, which is everyone, uh, every two to three weeks we try to get a recording session in. Um, we're planning a few more uh, here and there to work on some YouTube projects that we have kind of going. Uh, so there are going to be a lot more of them. Uh, I have one that I'm going to put up pretty soon. Uh, that's at five bucks a month, folks. If you want to get in at five bucks a month on Patreon, it's one of the best ways to financially support us. Uh, you can jump in there, get all your episodes early for the Dungeon Cast, get an extra podcast called the Dungeon Chats, and you get a bunch of live plays that we did called Vault Raiders. Um, and we've got a new one coming out pretty soon before the end of the year. Um, so hopefully it's already up there. Anyway. Uh, there are lots of other tiers you can support us at on Patreon for even more bonus content and exclusive merch like stickers and mugs with cool, unique art on them that you can't get in our merch shop. Um, if you want to get some TDC merch, though, 
Uh, you can jump down below. There's like a link down there. There's all kinds of stuff, man. Watch SuperQuest Saga. Check out our other uh, videos on YouTube like DD5. We're going to have more of those coming out and we're going to have more uh, more stuff coming out on YouTube. So be sure to check out our YouTube channel. Hit the subscribe. I think by the time this episode airs, we've crossed 30,000 subscribers, which is insane. So thank you guys so much. I, we really, really appreciate it. Um, and thank you to everybody that listens to the show on podcasts. Um, you're the bulk of our, audi- our audience. There's a ton of you out there and we wouldn't be the show we are without you uh, and all of your support. Like I said, it's been a great, wonderful year. I'm really looking forward to all of the cool stuff that we have planned for next year. And we hope you guys stick around uh, for enjoying this Dungeon Cast wave, this Dungeon Cast ride. Um, so, yeah, thank you very much. That's where I'm going to call it because I can call it whatever I want because Will's not here. And we usually just call it where it feels natural. And that's that's now. OK, Bye. Bye. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.